It wasn't easy cutting my first season a little bit short, but what was going to happen next when, when I was arriving home, I wasn't ready for one bit. I was used to being around large groups of friends every day, and it didn't matter what time of the day it was, as it was 5pm somewhere, I could get a drink whenever I wanted, and the sun was shining. I remember landing back in Manchester and being absolutely freezing, even in August. You don't remember how cold it actually is when you get back home, and I'm not sure how I got back from the airport, but when I eventually did arrive home, I was home alone, as my parents were still in Bulgaria for a few more days. I got home, unpacked all of my bags, and just laid on my bed staring at the season, thinking to myself, fucking hell, that was some experience. The first few days of being home, you're buzzing to see your mates and tell them all the crazy stories and experiences from being abroad. But once you've seen all your mates and you hear, ooh, Bulgaria friend, every time you mention Sunny Beach, reality eventually does start to kick in. Drinking in your local in the northwest of England is not the same as drinking in a nightclub or a beach bar over in Sunny Beach, and I very quickly realised that. The staff discount and low-priced alcohol is no more, and you're back to paying £7 for a cocktail that you don't even like, or £3.50 for a pint that's flatter than a witch's tit. I'm going off 2011 prices here as well. I was still in a party boy mood, but I didn't have the atmosphere which I was used to, and it got to me really, really quickly. The first two weeks of being at home was seeing all the boys and getting pissed up, and in the second week it was swapping between my computer chair to play FIFA on the Xbox to my bed to watch some stand-up comedy or a movie with my mum shouting at me that my dinner was ready. I didn't mention it in the first episode, but I was seeing a girl before I went to Sunny Beach who I'd, who I'd met after making the decision to work abroad. I knew it couldn't go too far because I was jetting off in the May, but I did ask the question if she was cool with the fact that I was going to work abroad and she told me to go and that she'd wait for me to come home. It was really strange because I'll never forget the last time I did see her before I went out to Bulgaria. As I give her a goodbye hug, someone like you by Adele started playing in the background and we both started wailing our eyes out. Soft, I know, but I was 19 years old, so don't judge me. I'll always be grateful to her though for not holding me back, otherwise I might not be telling you this story now on the podcast and I wouldn't have met some of the best people across the world, but I'll always remember my first night out as I arrived back home into Preston. Me and the lads went on a night out into Preston and we was in a club that at the time was called Lava and Ignite and now it's called Evoke. I heard whispers that this girl was seeing some lad back home, who I also knew of, but when I was abroad I didn't care really as we wasn't together for the simple reason that I was going to work abroad. Anyway, me and the lads were levered after a heavy drinking session in Lava, and one of the lads came up to me and said this girl was at the front of the club crying, asking for me. At this point, I was anybody's that I'd won too many Sambucas, but I'd remembered the whispers people had told me about this lad whilst I was abroad, and I went into a fit of rage. There's an alleyway down the side of Lava, and, and when we got outside, we went to the alleyway to chat. She opened by telling me how sorry she was, to which I bark, you don't need to tell me because I already know, and I carried on spouting that I didn't do anything abroad because of her, which was a blatant huge white lie, but I didn't know what had come over me at the time. One of the lads came to the alley and said that it's, it's, that's enough now Byron, that you're shouting too much, and rushed me away from the alleyway. So let this be a lesson to anyone who's thinking that it's fine to have somebody at home and then go into work abroad. It's not, and it'll never work. Trust me on that one. To add to that, girls, if you have a boyfriend who's telling you that he's going to work abroad for the experience and broaden his mind, that's not the only thing he will be broadening, so steer clear. 
that experience with that girl pretty much made my mind up that I didn't want to be in a relationship for as long as I was working abroad. And I went long lengths of time not being remotely interested or attempting to get a girlfriend in between seasons, just for a few reasons, really. Number one, I've always had respect for women and I don't believe that they should, they should be treated like shit just because you they allow you to. Number two, what's the point in wasting my own time and effort as well as theirs as I'm only going to piss off again on a, on an aeroplane in May? And number three, I hate liars and I won't lie, uh, lie to a girl up until May then the inevitable of me going abroad happens. All that being said, after my first season, I was immature in the situation I was in. I didn't expect her to wait around for me, but whilst I was living it up in the sun half na- with half-naked people around me every day, so why I went off the handle when I got home was beyond me. Let's just say that night I had one too many shandies. And if you're thinking, fucking hell, he sounds like he hurt her, it was all verbal. And if you are a woman beater, you're a cunt. And turn off this podcast, because I don't want you around here. The second week of me being home, once I'd seen all of my friends and they was working during the week, it was quite awful. I was no longer surrounded by like-minded people 24-7 with a drink in my hand. My parents were at work in the daytime and I was just sat in my bedroom in my bedroom at my parents' house alone. I spent pretty much the whole second week in bed recovering from the season before cl- clucking for the weekend so then I could go for a drink with my mates. And I hold my hands up now and I admit that I was looking for a job in these times was one of the last things on my list. Like I mentioned, I was spending most of the day sleeping until the early afternoon then I'd wake up and get something to eat, watch some films or series play some Xbox until the early hours of the morning, we're talking around 4-5am, and then sleep again until 1-2pm the following day. Looking back now, I was literally just wishing my time away for the next season because as soon as I got back from Sunny Beach, I knew that I wanted to be there again and I instantly regretted coming home early. My friends out there would speak to me as the season was still going on and it was an absolute killer watching photos and statuses flying around on social media when I could still have been out there but instead went home because I was getting a little bit bored with the job but not half as much as I was bored sat at home in my underpants in my pit. I missed out on the closing party for every single club in Sunny Beach in my first season too which I kicked myself so hard about. I lost a lot of motivation for anything when I got home. And for somebody with an addictive personality, Sunny Beach was my new addiction. And it's all I could think about when I was back home. I knew when I was in this frame of mind, nothing else was going to come close. And I had to find a job to at least pass a bit of time, give my parents some money towards the upkeep of the house and put a little bit away for the following season. Like I mentioned in the first episode, by trade I'm a painter and decorator. But once I'd finished my apprenticeship shortly before going out to Sunny Beach, I had zero interest in pursuing it as a career. And in my mind, I was firmly fixed on working abroad. I'd sacked off the idea of asking for my job back at the painting company, as I knew working with them, again, it probably would have tipped me over the edge. But my dad was getting on my case for me to get a job, as apparently the bills don't pay themselves, as now I do know. Uh, running my own place and he did have every right to moan at me until I did find work which I eventually did. I got a job as a bartender at a function room at a hotel which hosted weddings, funerals, cabaret nights and all that kind of jazz and because it was a fun environment I really enjoyed it apart from the funerals. The place was always stacked with people and the only downside was listening to the same take that tribute act twice a month but as a job it was alright and I made a few quid from working there from tips and wages 
which I knew would be enough to see me through my next season and keep my old man off my back. I won't bore you with any more details of as the job itself, as I was a bartender and it involved alcohol, of which if it was left at a funeral wake, for example, then it was free then it was a free for all. Me and one of the lads who I used to work with was once left with five bottles of Moet champagne, two bottles of gin and two bottles of horrendous Scotch whiskey at the end of this funeral. I'd cycled to work that day and because the bottles had been opened and poured into the champagne flutes and put onto the trays, there was only two places they, can, they could have gone as all the, left, all the guests of the funeral had left. So it was down the sink or down our necks. I took it upon myself to challenge my colleagues to a champagne downing competition. Of course, he obliged. The thing is with champagne, when you're downing it, it fucks you up really fast because of the carbon dioxide in the sparkling drinks. It increases the permeability of your biomembranes, which in turn lets more alcohol into your bloodstream. You learn something new every day. I think we managed to down about six each before before getting horrifically bloated. But then we agreed that we should finish all five trays of champagne before we leave the building. Again, not a good idea. As it was a funeral wake, it was in the daytime, which meant they didn't put a member of bar management on shift with us and just left us to it. A 19-year-old and an 18-year-old being left with all that booze unsupervised. What did they think was going to happen? We'd managed to finish all of the champagne off and I'm pretty sure the poor fella whose funeral it, funeral it was would have been disappointed that the only people to have a good knees up with him were the two clowns behind the bar. We'd had a couple of gins too in between all the champagne so by this point I was well and truly bollocksed but as I mentioned I had cycled into work. As I clocked off I got on my bike and I fell off, <laughs> fell off sideways straight away. I was about five to six miles from home and I didn't fancy walking a bike home for six miles. So I called my dad to come and pick me up. When he eventually arrived, he just said to me, what the fuck have you been doing? And I just looked at him, threw my car in the boot, said, don't ask. I always knew the following season that I wanted to get back out to Sunny as early as I could, which was always mid to late May. But what I hadn't thought about was who I was going to work for. I don't think I could have gone and worked a full season working for Iceberg, handing out free drinks tickets all night again. So I had to have a plan B, and if all else failed, I could ask for my old job back at Iceberg, or at least apply for it. It was typically around January when companies in Sunny Beach would put out the feelers and job vacancy applications onto social media outlets, and I'd seen a couple that caught my eye. To back myself up, I applied for Iceberg again, and there was no reason for why I shouldn't get my job back there, as I got a fair few people into that club consistently every night and I got on with all the staff and management, but the company Iceberg belonged to had just bought a party boat. The party boat was called Tattoo Party Boat and my friend Christian, who managed Jack's Bar, which was the place where me and Tony were on the bingo, um, was going to be the manager of the boat. I messaged him about what the job entailed and it was pretty much just selling tickets for the party boat and then if needed staff would jump on the boat for the boat party to host the games etc and just make sure that everything was running smoothly. I'd been on the boat the year before when it belonged to another company and it was a good laugh but it was one of those events I can only imagine the novelty would wear off very quickly if you're on the boat two to three times per week. He told me to apply which I did and I was then just waiting to hear back from Iceberg and the party boat for who I was going to work for in the 2012 season. 
staff from all the companies would often chat with each other in between seasons, discussing the great times that they had the season before and about who they was going to work for the following season. There was a few staff who would only spend one or two seasons in Sunny Beach and then move on to a different resort to see what's going down there. But I always had the thought of if I did go to another resort and it wasn't anywhere near as good as Sunny Beach, then I'd just be regretting the decision that I'd made. There was that, and I feel if I weren't working a summer abroad elsewhere, then I'd always be comparing everything that I'd do in that resort to Sunny Beach. The same thing happened in Sunny Beach. There would be people who have had done seasons in other resorts and then come to Sunny Beach to try and some, to try something different and not expect much from it at all, and then they'd be blown, blown away. I once met a lad who'd done seasons in Ibiza, Magaluf, Ayanapa, and he said nothing compared to Sunny Beach. I suppose it's all personal preference, and I think the main appeal to Sunny Beach, at least back in 2011-2012, was that it was wild and there was wild events going on, especially for the 18-30 to 30 year old crowd. I'd heard back from Iceberg and my job back there was safe, but like I said, I didn't fancy handing out free drink tickets all, all season again for another five months, as I found it really boring, but every credit to people who can grind out a whole season doing that, there were some people who actually did enjoy it. But I needed a challenge and I needed to be selling something and feel a sense of achievement when I managed to get tourists to buy a product that I've pitched to them. So I thought the job offer with the boat would have been more ideal for me, especially because it's a staple part of a young person's holiday, a boat party. So I didn't think it would be too hard to sell at all. I told Iceberg that I would be returning, always knowing that I didn't want to, but... I knew that when working abroad, it's always good to have a plan B in case things go tits up. And I'd rather be over in Sunny Beach in a job that I didn't really enjoy than be in the northwest of England in a job that I despise where it pisses it down with rain all summer. As much as I pestered Christian to see if I did have the job with them on the boat, um, he told me that he was going to get back to all applicants in February and I was starting to get impatient. The closer it gets to the next season, the more you start to miss the resort and you'll be planning your first night back in in resort in your head every day whilst you're back home in your home country. You'll plan the bars you're going to go to, the drinks you're going to drink, even down to the little details like the hangover food the next day. At least I did anyway. That's how obsessed I was with the place after my first season. You start talking about it to all your friends back home and they'll all just ask you, well, what are you going to do once the season's finished? Or how are you going to make a career from it? which I I can understand, but at the same time, I don't believe anybody has to lead an identical pattern of life to one another. I never knew what what I truly wanted to do with my life, and if I'm honest, I'm not 100% now, but I am a firm believer if you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing, and all my friends back home were getting stuck into the start of their careers once they'd served the time as an apprentice, or and they were starting to earn half-decent money, and I was tossing it off over in Bulgaria on the piss every night. Prancing around, <laughs> prancing around on bar crawls and beach parties. I'm not surprised that they was getting sick of hearing it, as they probably envied the lifestyle I was living a little bit during the summertime, but would give it back to me with both barrels in the wintertime. There would often be times where all the lads were planning to go out somewhere on a weekend, which involved needing to have a bit of money to spare, but because of the job I was doing in between 2011 and 2012 season, number one, I wasn't earning decent money because it was only bar work. Number two, I worked pretty much all weekend, every weekend. And number three, when I was off work, my friends would be working and vice versa. 
the bar and hospitality industry back in the UK can have a huge hit on your social life. But I wasn't too over concerned because I knew that in the summertime I had the best social life I was ever going to have. In 2012, a few of the lads came over to see me on a two-week all-inclusive holiday, which they've said themselves was one of the best holidays that they've ever had. But we'll come to speaking about that in a couple of episodes' time, because there is a couple of fucking cracking tales. Back to finalising my job in Sunny Beach for the 2012 season. By this point, it was late January, and I'd only heard back from my old job at Iceberg, and I was awaiting for a reply from the party boat. I'd often used Skype back in 2011 to keep in contact with my sunny beach friends and I'd spend hours on group calls to them every day and talk about the place and who's working for who. One person who I spent a lot of time talking to was Watsy. Remember Watsy from the previous episode? The one I called Herpes who worked for DGV? Yeah, him. It was strange really because I never really went out partying with him in sunny beach and he only ever came over to Sunny Beach to work later on in the 2011 season, and we'd only talk in the streets when passing each other, but when we did, we had quite a lot in common, and had a similar sense of humour, which is why I think it's that's the main reason that we did get along with one another. Our first few Skypes would just talk about past experiences in Sunny Beach, who the fittest birds working out there were, and football, as he was a West Ham fan, God bless him. We'd Skype more and more and he was telling me about what it was like working for DGV and what the club was like as I'd only been in there a handful of times as my manager at Iceberg was sacking people who was going to DGV on a night because they was classed as our rivals. But if I'm being completely honest, you couldn't compare that place with with anywhere else due to the sheer number of people they had in there every night. The more Watsy told me about DGV, the more I was intrigued about the place and it seemed that over there they was having a whale of a time. I mentioned in the first episode I had a friend called Ben who I'd see around in the streets with his bucket of booze in hand all day and the Viking staff would always be pissed up playing stupid games with each other in the streets, having a good time and they really engaged well with the tourists, offering them drinks from their buckets to get them into the shop, uh, to get them to stop so that they could try and sell them a ticket for the events and it did work a charm no other company in the resort had the powers to do this and it was like there was a mag there was like a magnet which attracted all the tourists to the dgv at night time and at peak hours there was always a queue to get in the place and i could never get my head around it probably because it was rare that i went in there in my first season Watsy would tell me that they got a scannable alcohol card which had a limit of free booze on which was more than enough to get steam in and they could drink on the shift as long as they weren't getting to the point where they was embarrassing themselves and couldn't stand up. I remember when I worked for Party Crew, Bradford Dave saying to me, well, he'd say things like, oh, look at the state of this lot, they're so embarrassing, you know, whenever he was walking down the strip. And I remember thinking to myself, like, fucking hell, mate, they're just enjoying themselves. I thought that was the whole point of working a season abroad, is it not? Dave was very bitter towards DGV, because they was always busy and he was as loyal as a dog to the company that he worked for. But I think deep down he knew the club's what was within his company could never keep up with DGV. The alcohol card appealed to me as soon as I heard about it because I reckon I'd spent around 80% of my wages in Sunny Beach on booze, whether that be discounted booze in bars and clubs or in the supermarket because I'd work better with a drink in me. As me and Watsy Skype more and more, he'd tell me more about DGV. 
the team days they used to have, the amount of staff who worked there, how it was one big family, all the different nationalities who used to party and work in there, the fact that there were six huge bars in the club, and he said that I should come over to the dark side jokingly as their events team, Party Square, which has since been renamed Sunny Beach Takeover, were taking applications for, for the 2012 summer. I told him that there wasn't a chance I'd leave Iceberg to join their rivals as I was waiting to hear back from Christian at the party boat. It wasn't even like Watsy was pressuring me to join Viking and I'd joke with him every now and again when we Skype saying things like, wouldn't it be funny if I just rocked up with a Viking helmet on my head in the summer? I remember one night Skyping with Watsy around February time and the party boat still hadn't got back to me. After hearing everything I'd heard about DGV, it started to slowly sound appealing to me. I told him that I was getting frustrated that I still hadn't heard back from them and because I just wanted to know where I'd be working that summer and he pretty much turned around to me and said, well, you might as well apply for Party Square at DGV as a backup plan just in case nothing comes of the job on the boat. I just thought to myself, fuck it. I've got nothing to lose here. I might as well apply just in case the boat don't want me. The only thing holding me back that there was no basic salary and it was all purely based on commission. But I did the maths in my head and I thought to myself, 80% of my money goes on booze when working for Iceberg anyway. And at the Viking, there was free accommodation, an alcohol card with free booze on every single day, decent commission rates, and the events I'd be selling all included entrance to DGV, which I'd seen with my own eyes, queues going into it every single night. So even the world's worst salesman wouldn't struggle, wouldn't struggle shifting tickets for that place. At the time I was a smoker, And I thought to myself, all I needed money for was cigarettes and food, which was half price at most venues anyway. So I couldn't really be skint if I did get the job working for them. At the time, I felt like a huge traitor even by just applying for DGV. But I was getting so impatient that the boat wasn't selecting their team after a week of applying. I got an email back from DGV. I was successful and I had got the job, so I called Watsy. I told him that I'd got a job with Party Square at DGV and he asked me what I was going to do, but my mind was made up. I was sick of waiting around for the boat, so that ship had sailed and I now knew that I wanted to try something different and work for the one place that I hadn't worked. The one place which had 2,000 people per night inside of and was queuing out out of the door. It made sense. DGV was going to be my party hub for the summer 2012 and my job was was going to be selling bar crawls, beach parties and free bars. Looking back, it was an absolute no-brainer. And if I hadn't have joined DGV, then I definitely wouldn't be doing this podcast now. And it's highly likely 2012 would have been my second and last season out in Sunny Beach. Because the thought of handing out free drinks tickets at Iceberg for another summer really bored me to tears. Watsy was buzzing that I was going to be working on the same team as him. And there was a staff page on Facebook that we all got added to. So I got to make some friends even before I'd got to the resort, which made it a lot easier when you actually got out there in a strange way. Skyping with other people that you've never met, and when you do actually meet them in person, it feels like you've known them for years. Other uses for the group was the lads scouting out the good-looking women of the team, and there'd often be a group chats of lads asking other people's opinions on this girl or that girl, which was really quite funny. There's quite a lot of catfishes as well. 
I knew a couple of lads from the 2011 team who worked for DGV, who was returning in 2012, but it seemed like there was a hell of a lot of fresh staff who'd never worked in Sunny Beach before, and some who'd never even been to Sunny Beach before. My first season, I travelled out there with Tony, and he had his mindset on working for Party Crew again in in the 2012 season, but this time with his girlfriend who he'd met in the winter. That didn't quite go to plan, as his girlfriend got pregnant with his firstborn daughter, and his girlfriend is no longer his girlfriend, but now his wife, and he has two more girls, so he has three girls now. This came as a shock to me at the time, but he's now a family man, and he's a brilliant dad to his three girls. It's funny how things work out, isn't it? So in 2012, I was going out there on my own, flying with Watsy from Luton Airport. The flights had been booked for a ridiculous price of around 30 to £40, pounds, as there was a company called Wizz Air who used to fly to Bulgaria from Luton for dirt cheap. So I paid I paid a friend to drive me to the, to the airport from the northwest, and it still worked out a hell of a lot cheaper than flying from Manchester. I don't know what it is, but it feels like the month leading up to your flight out there seems to drag until the final week. And then you're worrying whether you've got everything you need. So you're considering. So if you are considering doing a season, I, su- I do suggest that you make a checklist for everything you do need to complete a season. I used to pack my life in a case and pay for extra luggage as I used to bring all my toil- toiletries for the season with me. My mum my used to fill a plastic bag full of cuppa soups, tea bags, pasta, so- pasta and sauce sachets because she thought I was going to starve. Rather that, I was going to open a soup kitchen over in Bulgaria. But I felt bad if I didn't take them with me in fairness, and the soup did come in handy for me and the boys on a few occasions. Marmite was another thing. I used to pack Marmite for the Marmite for the season to have Marmite on toast, along with some peanut butter. It's always good to take a couple of home comforts, comforts with you over to Sunny Beach. In my first season, I somehow forgot swimming trunks, so I bought a snide pair of night ones for 10 levs from some shifty shanty stall for a team day at the water park, so I always remembered to pack my trunks first. Never forget to take at least two towels either. The majority of accommodation when you get over there will not provide them. I used to get the fear with people who'd used to go over there with like three pairs of shorts, four t-shirts, thinking how the fuck can you pack like that for a season? And I've also seen lads in the past take one of the little hand luggage cases to do a whole season with, which again, I wouldn't advise it. But on the flip side of that, I've also seen girls rocking up with three to four suitcases like they're never planning to return home in the the near future. And that also spun my head out. When you pack to do a season, don't even bother with £100 t-shirts or expensive shoes or jeans, because guess what? It's all going to get fucking ruined. If it's not alcohol or UV paint which will ruin it, it'll be the Lord Dretz in Sunny Beach who shrink, your cl- who shrink all your clothes. So if, you, if you're wearing a large, it'll come out of that machine and extra small. I don't think they got the memo in the laundrettes over there and there's certainly no dot cotton when it comes to washing your clubber. For anybody wondering where the best laundrette in Sunny Beach is, in my opinion, it's called Luxury and it's situated just behind a Diamond Hotel. So with an abundance of soup in my case, a shitload of trainer socks and boxers, a load of sheep t-shirts, a few pairs of shorts, a couple of pairs of jeans, a box of condoms, toiletries to wash the whole of the east coast of Bulgaria, and one jacket I was ready for my second season. I was heading to Luton Airport to start a new adventure now at DGV. I was about to become a Viking. <laughs>